Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. When the pandemic hit, many of us were forced to move more of our lives online for work, school, socializing, and entertainment. As we now begin to emerge from the lockdowns, we're going to take a look at how our interactions with the internet are evolving, for better and for worse. Maybe you want to take a break, or maybe you'd like to keep a hybrid, online, real-world combination. Reassessing our relationship with the internet. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens, and this is my final day guest hosting. It has been a pleasure to spend this week, my first experience as a radio host, with you. And I very much appreciate all of your emails of support and those with feedback about how I can improve. My TV show, KQED Newsroom, is on hiatus right now, but I hope you'll join us at 7 on Friday nights on KQED TV, Channel 9, when we resume our show on August 6th. Today, we're talking about something most all of us have, a relationship with the Internet. When the pandemic hit, those of us who could started living much of our lives online. We migrated our work meetings, classes, chats with friends, book clubs, therapy, and more to the digital sphere because we couldn't gather in person. Now, as we begin to emerge from the lockdowns, we take a look at how our relationship with the Internet has developed, for better and for worse, How has the Internet been helpful to you this past year? How has it changed your relationship with other people? Do you think you've used it too much and will maybe back off now that things are opening up? We want to hear about the pandemic, the Internet, and you. Call us anytime at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or... Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Joining me now for the conversation this hour are Chris Collin, a Bay Area journalist and the author of Off the Day the Internet Died. Hello, Chris. Hi. Thanks for joining us. And Abadesi Osunsade. She's the co-host of the podcast Techish, a weekly co- a weekly show hosted by two black millennials discussing tech, pop culture, and life. She joins us from London. Hello, Abadesi. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. 
And Rose Eveleth, the reporter and host of Flash Forward, a podcast about the future and author of the new book, Flash Forward, an illustrated guide to possible and not so possible tomorrows. Hello and welcome, Rose. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I want to start by considering what it might have been like if we hadn't had the Internet over this past year. Chris, you sort of envisioned this in your new book, Off, The Day the Internet Died. Can you give us an overview of this book? Sure. Um, Well, I'll start by saying the Internet is lovely. I'm a big fan of the Internet most of the time. And aside from the ways that it erodes our sanity and warps our sense of self and sometimes uh, promotes horrible disinformation campaigns, I really do think it's great. Um, But I also think that it's doing something to us. And we haven't always been able to get our arms around what it is doing. So I didn't want to scold myself or others with a serious book. I wanted to do a funny book. Uh, I'm normally a serious-ish journalist, and I I wanted to do something that was a little lighter. But it's sort of a Trojan horse, uh, this funny book, to get us thinking about what is happening to us with this constant connection to the Internet. So tell us about the – this is a children's book. um, and Sort of. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, well, I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a funny book for adults and adult like children. It looks like a children's book, but it's for adults. All right. Let's listen to a portion of it. Okay. One day, lo, the screens went dark and we were brought low, for we knew not where the stars of saved by the bell were now, nor which remaineth hot. We knew not which conspiracy theories trended nor beheld Dave's Zoom humor, frightened, confused, bored. We baked pies without knowing which was rated highest, and climbed mountains, but tick-tocked not upon those mighty peaks. We utilized restrooms without words with friends. What cameth unto us was a world unlike our own, and yet more like our own. I love that Morgan Freeman sort of esque voice that you have narrating that portion of it. What does that last piece of it mean that a world not like our own and yet more like our own? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that we've become um, sort of disconnected from the, you know, the other world, the offline world. You know, we spend all our time online in one way or another. Um, and it's foreign to us being offline. It's it's jarring and strange when you spend hours or days on end without being connected. But I also think it's a, it's true to us in a deeper way. So I think I think uh, when you do connect with your offline self, you're connecting with a sort of a more authentic version of yourself, even if it might be strange and, and disorienting at times. And did you yourself experiment with going offline? And what did you? learn about your offline self? Oh, barely, barely. I'm a huge <laughs> hypocrite. Um, that's why I needed this book. Um, I'm online as much as, as anyone. Um, but yes, I did try a little bit to get offline here and there. You know, I, my goal is not to, you know, convince everyone to white knuckle their way through some kind of digital detox. I think that's lovely if you can do it, but I think it's really hard. Um, I think it's sort of like, you know, all these messages that say you should, you know, walk away from your phone for a day. To me, it's sort of like saying, you know, you can beat climate change by recycling. I, I think the forces mm-hmm. that are are getting us online are much bigger than our own, you know, individual addictions. 
um, so, so yes, I did try to get offline more, um, and I did connect with a, a calmer version of myself. Um, but I also think it, what was most useful was seeing all the ways that it's got its hooks in me. I think that was helpful. Hmm. I want to bring Abadesi into the conversation here. Abadesi is the uh, co-host of the podcast Techish. Have you ever tried to step offline? <laughs> of course I have. Um, you know, I have some lofty goals of connecting with nature too, but it, it, it is really hard. I think one of the things that I started to realize quite early into the pandemic was that I was developing a very unhealthy obsession with constantly checking the news and constantly checking in with loved ones who were in other places. And this was a habit that was really bad for my mental health, you know, psychologically distressing. So I started getting into nature more as much as I could, like trying to get into this habit of leaving the house before I, you know, open my laptop and start my working day and get sucked into the matrix and really just try to get out into nature. And it's so funny because I, I now find myself with the hobbies I never would have expected a 30 something to have. I got really into bird watching <laughs> <laughs> over the pandemic to the point where my recent birthday, I, I'm a March person. So I had my second birthday in lockdown in 2021. My husband actually bought me binoculars mm. and a bird watching book. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like I appreciate the outdoors more for the role that it plays in helping me decompress from the internet and helping me reset. So that maintains my mental health. And Rose, what about you? When you think about how much time you spend online, how much you spent during the pandemic, did you have any realizations about um, your relationship with the internet during that time? You know, I, I joke that I've been training for this for years because I've been a freelancer who's worked from home for almost 10 years now. And so a lot of the things that I think many people were trying to get more used to during the pandemic, I have been doing for a very long mm -hmm. time. Um, that said, I do think that the pandemic sort of to Abadesi's point, like shifted the ways in which there, you know, the emotional sort of valence of being online all the time, right? Like you, you know, I would use it for work and use it to hang out with friends, but now it was all of a sudden the only way. And when you have it being the only way to connect, it feels like it has a different kind of weight to it. Um, and I try to think, you know, and this is what I, when people were asking me early on in the pandemic, like, how do I do this? How do you, how do you do not just like lose it, you know, <laughs> over the last 10 years of doing this? And I always think a lot about being sort of literally connected via some sort of like internet connection doesn't actually mean connection in the way that we are looking for always. And so being very thoughtful about, are my, am I connecting or am I to sort of borrow a word from the journalist Karen Ho, doom scrolling? Mm -hmm. um, you know, am I just kind of like mindlessly swiping, you know, up to see what else is going on? And when you catch yourself doing that kind of um, stopping, and I also, I have a pandemic hobby, which is, um, clay sculptures. And the nice thing about it, and this is perhaps depressing at the same time, is that it, your hands are dirty. So you literally cannot touch your phone. And maybe it's sad <laughs> that I need a physical barrier between yeah. me and the digital, like the thing that I don't want to ruin because it costs way too much money to replace a phone. So I got very into ceramic sculpture as my pandemic hobby. I, but I want to pick up bird watching. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Let's go now to caller Tammy in Mill Valley. Tammy, you're on the line. Hi. Um, well, I'm really glad you're having this topic to uh, comment on because I'm a single mom and I've got two daughters who have been online a whole lot more than I would have ever anticipated. Um, you know, when we went to Zoom school, just what I call homeschooling, 
It was a tough transition like it is for many parents, but I have a daughter with special needs. And so that was especially challenging. And because she's on the spectrum and has um, challenges in, in communication, uh, she found that chat option in Zoom and it was like, you know, great, gold. She's got this. She's got mm-hmm. a way to communicate. Well, she's back in school now and there's no chat option for her. <laughs> so she's shut down and not speaking. And, and then my, my other daughter, who's back in school full time, who doesn't have these challenges, suddenly has all these issues with anxiety and, and, and is so shy and, and not able to get in the mix socially you know we, we've just been staring at screens for so long now and so that's sort of been you know the bad thing about what's happened in in turning to the internet and having to go to zoom school and and you know having no options for for you know getting out there and doing what we used to do they would you know be on youtube or playing games all day and so it's you know things i tried to limit but then there wasn't always a lot to do so to me that's like the bad, but there was also the good in that, you know, here in Mill Valley where I grew up and, you know, having all the things happen last summer around George Floyd and, and this sort of awakening to what's happening in our country, I think we were all able to really get in touch with what's what's going on. And, and, and the city council meetings that take place here suddenly became more available right, on more Zoom. Accessible. So that access was was huge, you know, to have more community members involved. Tammy, thanks so much for your call. You know, I think she's pointing out that obviously there's some good, there's some bad, and emerging isn't easy coming back into this new world that we are going to be living in. So is any part of your pandemic life better online? Has the Internet been fulfilling your social needs? How have your kids been doing? We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're going to be right back after this break with our expert panel. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And thanks for joining us here on KQED Public Radio. This is Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. And I want to get to the point that um, the last caller, Tammy, was making about the sensory differences that one of her daughters was facing and how technology was able to help that and how going back into, you know, the real world, if we want to call it that, um, has then exacerbated some of those challenges. Rose, I understand you also struggle with some of those challenges. Would you address uh, caller Tammy's comments? Yeah, I'm so glad Tammy brought that up because I um, am also on the spectrum and this is probably part of why I've actually sort of been able to make working from home in this way work for so long um, because it is 
much easier in some ways to mediate conversation and, and sort of not be in places where it's really overwhelming or a really fast paced meeting where everyone's throwing in ideas and you're just like, ah, <laughs> trying, trying to keep up and trying to process everything while everyone's talking. Um, and I think that the thing that I would love for people to remember is exactly what Tammy pointed out, which is that for a lot of folks, the ways in which things have gone online, whether that's a conference, a meeting, workplaces, school, has been really amazing for folks of all kinds of needs. So, you know, people who um, can't travel for whatever reason, you know, accessibility is a huge thing that we've seen happen um, through the pandemic. And I hope, my hope is that as we move forward, you know, all these folks who were constantly told, no, 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 we can't do an online version of the council meeting, or we can't do an online version of this, it's too hard, you know, now we know that we can do that and mm -hmm. we should continue to do that in the future. So that is the one, I have a glimmer of hope that perhaps things will become more accessible in the future because we've seen now that it, it totally is possible mm -hmm. um, and we should continue to do it. And also maybe some of those systems are set up now in a way that they weren't right. before. Um, Abadesi, you, in addition to your podcast, also work in educating tech companies about bias and inclusion, and you foster these very serious and sensitive discussions. So how did your work migrate online once we all realized the pandemic wasn't going to be just a short-term, uh, you know, time in our lives. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. I remember the time when I was like, lockdown will only last six weeks. We'll be right back. Uh, how naive hmm. I was. But yeah, one of the things that's really challenging about this, this type of work um, is that it really invites participants to embrace discomfort. And when you have an educational experience like this in real life, as a facilitator, as an educator, it's really easy for you to see the body language cues of when people are reaching their maximum point of tolerance or when people are starting to withdraw because the conversation is creating so much discomfort they can no longer mm. participate. And moving to a virtual space made this so hard because you, know, you can only see someone's head and shoulders. Um, but what we actually decided to do was adapt the reflection prompts and adapt the discussion prompts in, to, to such a way that people could then either unmute and speak or if they want, speak and chat. And, you know, just as the conversations already touched upon, having other ways to communicate in a virtual space can actually encourage people who wouldn't otherwise speak up because perhaps they communicate better in written form than vocally to become a part of that space. So in many ways, it has actually made our education space more equitable in the sense that we're finding that there is a greater balance of voices. Whereas when it was IRL, what we found was people who were already pretty confident speaking on their lived experience or confident reflecting on their privileges or the awareness of their biases would often be the first ones to speak. And then often sometimes the ones to dominate. So it's actually been a really interesting way to level the playing field. Mm -hmm. And Abedesi, in terms of your personal experience, I understand you were laid off early in the pandemic. What was it like looking for work in lockdown? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was difficult because especially in tech, um, we rely so much on networks. You know, in the past when I've been laid off or I've moved on from a job, the first thing I do is just like pick up my phone or go on Twitter, any other social network and just start thinking of who I can hit up for a coffee date. It's like, who can I buy coffee or who can I buy lunch for? Who can set me up with some good connections? And all of that was unavailable to me. So here I was, you know, online doing my very best to be vulnerable and open up to people like, hmm, can I just open this DM with I just got laid off um, <laughs> and, and start to try and create that that intimacy and, and request that support in a virtual way. And it was really, really difficult to do that. I kind of had to adapt the way that I network and adapt the way that I create 
informal conversations because I had to have a bit of formality around it. I had to let people know why I was suddenly reaching out to them and what I thought they could help me with. So I think that was really, really tough. But at the same time, it made me start to realize that what was holding me back from being intimate over a direct message? What was holding me back from being vulnerable in those spaces? Was it the fact that I was worried about how I'd be received? And I realized that that was the case because you know I did just open up over WhatsApp, over iMessage. Some of these friends were thousands of miles away. You know, I'm in London, I'm speaking to folks in San Francisco, the Bay Area. And I just realized, wow, you know, it's kind of okay. Like I started to get a bit creative. Like if, if it got a bit hard to speak about something or to type it out, I'd send a voice memo Mm because those are ephemeral. They disappear after a while or you can delete them Um, or I'd send a video. So I feel like I I learned to adapt. And what was so nice was because we were all forced to communicate in this way, people were always really receptive. And, you know, whatever you put out, you always get back. So that was really nice. Chris, what about for you? How did you adapt over this past year with the pandemic to having an increased influence and, you know, the Internet having an increased influence on your own life and the life of your children? And are there practices that you're going to be continuing to take with you? Yeah, well, you know, I I tend not to say that many nice things about the Internet because the Internet is the status quo and I don't think the status quo needs my support. But I will (laughs) say of course, the internet was wonderful, and it really improved things for a lot of people uh, this past year in, in the ways that folks have been saying. Um, you know, one way that I saw that up close and personal was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started an online free newspaper, a pandemic newspaper called Six Feet of Separation by and for kids and teens. Um, and having kids have a have an opportunity to share what was going on in their worlds and, and in their homes and in their heads, uh, kids who are otherwise disconnected and often pretty uh, lonely and anxious. Uh, absolutely. That couldn't have happened without the internet and it was a godsend. Um, so that's something I would like to keep doing. And, and I think that's an area where that really highlighted how um, the internet helped uh, our lives. I think what I want to say, you know, in this little book I did and also in general is is that's sort of what's interesting to me is that the internet makes things better for sure in a lot of ways. And that's why it makes it hard, hard at the same time to see uh, the cost. Um, and I think that's what I want us to have a sort of clear sense of uh, individually and as a, as a society is, you know, what if the internet is this glue that sort of held us together over the last year, what was that glue also doing to us at the same time? And Rose, could you talk as a futurist, you know, about how our relationship with the Internet has maybe matured during the pandemic and where you see it going? Oh, man. It, any futurist who predicts the future is probably uh, making it up, right? We never know what's going to happen. But um, I think that, you know, I think Chris's point is really good. Like, it can be really hard to have nuanced conversations about this because I think all of us have had really positive experiences and also pretty negative experiences, right? Like, you know, we don't want to sugarcoat this. Like this wasn't just great for everyone at all times. And misinformation is rampant, you know, conspiracy theories spread really quickly. It's really hard to fact check in real time on the internet. Um, And I think that one thing that I've sort of been heartened by is talking to teens about sort of like how aware they are of both sides of that. Um, And I think that moving forward, I think we're all going to sort of just 
get a little bit more realistic about what the internet can do for us and then what it can't do for us, right? Um, I think we're learning every day all the things that it can do. It can connect us. It can, you know, teens can play if they can't see each other in school, like students can play games with each other and kind of have these connections while at the same time, you know, it's very easy for things that are false to spread very quickly, right? And so I think that my hope is that as we go forward um, and as we've had this kind of like immersive crash course in the full spectrum of the internet all together in, um, in a lot of this, that we'll see a bit of more of a nuanced conversation around the internet. And I also think that the pandemic has also raised a really important question around access to the internet. Um, you know, uh, I think Tammy mentioned Zoom school, right? And there are a lot of families that don't have the bandwidth to have Zoom school for more than one kid who don't have machines, who don't have computers. And so I think it has also surfaced the reality that the internet is a sort of essential service for a lot of people and not everyone can afford it. Not everybody has access to it. So I hope that in the future, that conversation continues around access, affordability, the sort of like wealth disparities, um, just connection disparities, right? There's a huge mm -hmm. gap still in the US that we should still talk about. We're talking about how our relationship with the internet has changed during the pandemic and reassessing our internet use. Is there any part of your pandemic life that was better online? And maybe living online hasn't worked out for you so much. How has the internet been fulfilling your various needs? How have your kids been doing? And what part of the online pandemic life are you going to be keeping as you reemerge into the world once again? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, Rose, I want to continue with the comment that you were just making and talk about how people often discuss the lack, the loss of social connection, but that so many people used gaming, um, as well as the various social platforms, to connect. And that heavier reliance online worked better for some people. Yeah, it is funny. I, um, I never really played games um, until the pandemic, frankly. I was not a gamer, have never been a gamer. And we got like so many people, we got Animal Crossing and we played Animal Crossing and that was our game. And I would, you know, you can visit other people's islands. It's a very gentle game. Many people have written about why that game was popular at the point in time it came out. Um, but I think, you know, the thing about games and, and it's not just that it's Among Us, it's Minecraft, like all these games that people are playing with each other as a way to connect. Um, it just sort of is a reminder that humans are very inventive, not just in creating of the games, but also in the ways that they're used. Um, and sort of, we're always going to, you know, be be innovative and find ways to connect with one another because that's sort of an inherent human thing to do. Um, and during the pandemic, one of the ways we saw that happening more and more was with these games. And so now, yeah, I, I play Animal Crossing. Um, I've been playing other games. We use the little voice chat. Sometimes I'll call a friend um, because uh, no shade to Nintendo, but the voice chat feature on the Nintendo app does not work that well. <laughs> um, so uh, sometimes I'll get on a phone call with a friend and we'll just like play Animal Crossing for an hour and chat and like be on each other's islands. It's just a way mm. to kind of sort of see your friend, see into their world as well, because you can design your Animal Crossing island however you like. And it's a kind of fun way to see a new side of your friends. So I, I became a gamer during the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, and I know people have also done movie watching parties together online. Um, so a way yeah. to be together in the same space, but without physically seeing each other. Let's go to a caller, Don in Mountain View. Don, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. 
So I wanted to um, mention how great um, Alcoholics Anonymous is in the age of COVID. Previously, I'd have to travel to a meeting and, and take some time out for the travel. Now you go to a, um, a central um, web page and you can, for any particular time, in a half hour, half hour or even 15-minute segments, be able to dial into a meeting that's in uh, Tahiti or uh, anywhere in the world, and you uh, mix and match. One of the nice things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that you you realize as an alcoholic that every other alcoholic is so similar to you. So the the sense of brotherhood has really uh, been increased as a function of um, this online presence and the ability to dial into any meeting. And Don, was that available to you before the pandemic, or is that something that's sort of beefed up and been available more since? That's something that's new. Hmm. Yes, and if you're in a rural place, uh, your ability to have access to uh, to meetings is, is you, you may have to drive 45 minutes, for example, to, to get to a meeting. Right. Um, but now you just, if you have an internet connection, you can just dial in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your call, Don. We appreciate it. Let's go to caller Sarah in Santa Rosa. Sarah, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, similarly to what the previous caller was saying in terms of transportation, I've got limitations due to a disability. And with all kinds of things moving online, I'm now able to participate in things that I couldn't before, like classes or groups that I wouldn't be able to sit through in the past. Mm. So for me, this has really expanded my world. And I found that with, you know, different groups of people with different disabilities, it's been kind of the same thing. Sarah, thanks so much for your call. Uh, Abadesi, have you noticed this increase in the use of online services and programs, especially for people who might be homebound um, and are finding it so much more useful in the new ways it has rolled out over the past year and they really want to keep that in their lives. Yeah, I think that utilization of the internet and and opening up what is possible has been so, so apparent. And I think one of the greatest examples I can think about that is the way, you know, people in my generation, I'm 30 something, you know, millennial person have started to realize that you can make your money work for you if you Hmm. spend time reading about investing. And I'm not just talking about crypto and NFTs, but I'm talking about people that literally weren't just even like, investing at all now thinking about wow what is a good index fund what is a good tracker fund and also like what are like these hobbies that i have whether i'm making or creating that i can actually start to monetize you know one of my friends who is a fashion stylist you know couldn't do fashion styling because all the events had stopped at the beginning of the pandemic but she got really into tie-dyeing and she started wearing all of her tie-dye tracksuits on instagram and people started asking her if she would sell them and she had never even thought of being an entrepreneur or being a side hustler, as you say. And, you know, a few months into the pandemic, she'd made 10 grand. And mm-hmm. I know so many people who are aware of like this captive audience of people who've been sitting at home waiting to invest in courses and education or waiting to invest in services and products. And it's been an amazing opportunity for underrepresented entrepreneurs, whether that's women founders or black business owners, because the social awareness that's been happening on a macro level has also made people start to think about the brands that they want to invest in. So there are so many people who have made 
this time an opportunity for them to really make the internet work for them. And I think that's so exciting. And I think that's definitely going to stay. You know, we're going to play a clip now from a couple of uh, people who speak about their experiences over this time with the pandemic and reassessing their relationship. The first is Ilet Waldman, the author and public speaker. And the next is Soleil Ho, the critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, the food critic. Twitter makes me into a horrible person who hates everyone and swears a lot. If the internet went away, I could become a decent human being again. I'm Soleil Ho, and I am the restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. I think if the internet stopped happening, (laughs) I would probably start making more of my own clothes. I already do make clothes from scratch. But I would probably just lean into that really hard because it takes a lot of time and concentration that I don't currently have. So, Chris, you shared those quotes with us. You'd gathered them as part of your research and in, in looking at what would happen if the Internet went away. Uh, and we've got just a little bit of time before the break here. But is there anything that has changed in your life, anything new that you tried uh, during this time? O- online, you mean? Yeah, online, or maybe you took a break online. Is there anything new you learned? Did you sew? Did you? No, you're really putting me on the spot. Maybe I didn't learn anything. (laughs) Jeez. Um, No, yeah. I I mean, one thing I did is I spent a little more time playing music, playing instruments, um, and I did sort of force myself to go offline to do that. Um, Yeah, no, I think, and I and I've had lots of uh, you know interesting, meaningful experiences online too, like we all did, uh, you know, over the past year. So I think it was definitely uh, a mix for me. All right. We're talking about how our relationship with the internet has changed, matured, evolved during the pandemic and reassessing our internet use as we emerge from lockdown with Chris Collin, a Bay Area-based journalist and author of Off, The Day the Internet Died, Abedesi Osansade, the co-host of the Techish podcast, Rose Eveleth, the reporter and host of Flash Forward, a podcast about the future. What about you? Is any part of your pandemic life better online? Has the internet been fulfilling your social needs? Tell us. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be right back after this break. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to KQED Public Radio. You're listening to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. We are talking about reassessing our relationship with the Internet as we emerge from lockdown. We want to go now to the uh, it's Youth Takeover Week and two of KQED's Youth Advisory Board members, Charles. Charles D. Balloy and Laya Williams interviewed students from across the Bay to talk about how they experienced the shift to online life and learning during the pandemic. So here's a little bit of sound now from freshman Alexis Catalan, sophomore Penelope Stinton, and two more freshmen, Albin Krasriel and Domina Harper. I remember especially the first semester, the first few weeks, 
all of the teachers would give us so much homework. And I would just find myself like glued to the chair and on my computer for almost the entire day. But it did get better over the course of a couple weeks because a lot of the teachers were saying that the students were struggling quite a bit. Some days I just wouldn't even go outside. I was like a theater kid. At the beginning of quarantine, we did a production online, which was a big hassle and a little difficult to like manage. I do mock trial too. So we did that online, like that switched to an online format, which was a little rough because it's just a little bit more boring online. Like I think everything sort of shifted online and it's like, oh geez, I really remember now how much better everything is in person when you can like do hands-on like things and like chat with other people. It's easy to get like distracted on a computer. So my grades started to go down, but in ninth grade at the start of this year, I started to get a hold of these things as school became a lot more serious. And overall, I just saw like less distractions on the computer and I thought that things were getting a little better. I think it is very hard to concentrate when you just have a computer with unlimited resources on it. But over the course of the pandemic, I have been able to refine my like online learning method. So I now have like scheduled times for homework and all that. In addition to those comments, we also have a comment online from listener Rachel. She writes, I teach a freshman writing class online and focus the last two semesters on how the internet and technology have influenced our reading and writing. It's been fascinating to see students recognize the change in depth, attention, and empathy as we read in a constantly updated, scattered, and shortened medium. I'm hoping they can identify the affordances of online text, which is speed, and the costs, depth, detail, empathy. And so far, it seems to be coming through. I wonder how this might carry through to young people's habits in the future. And let's go to a caller now. We've got Nayema calling from San Francisco. Nayema, you're on the air. Nayema, my apologies. That's okay. Hi, how are you this morning? Thank you for having this conversation. I really appreciate it. It's an important conversation. Um, uh, my name is Naima Dean. I'm calling from San Francisco Public Library. I'm a public library. I manage a, br- a couple branches here right now. Um, and the conversation, uh, if I look at, at, at the use of the Internet from a personal um, perspective, I was able to break away from it during COVID. And um, kind of a lot of my work involves the Internet every day and being um, sent on DSW, disaster service assignment, throughout the city in homeless shelters and whatnot, um, you, and uh, at food banks and uh, librarians as contact tracers and whatnot, you learn how little access there really is for people. One of the pushes that we have is like trying to get, uh, you know, Bay Area-wide internet free for our public, for our community. Um, because you do see people in the pandemic pulling up chairs outside of the library to uh, study with their children. You do see people sitting in their cars and using the internet at the libraries. We keep our internet on 24 hours because people can't afford um, to pay monthly bills or don't are unhoused or are immigrants or are elders and just aren't accustomed to utilizing the technology. So they're super reliant on the assistance of librarians to fill out. I mean, people weren't even able to get the stimulus checks because they don't know how Mm -hmm. to go about 
accessing them. These are base. It's like the Internet now is like water. And so, you know, whether you love it or not, it is um, something that is a necessary means for survival. And there are great there are vast inequities. You know, we saw a lot of people, even just uh, people, frontline workers that had to go to work all the time while other people were able to travel and sit in their homes and work from far away exotic land. And Naima, are, are li- when are libraries slated to reopen in the city? Ah, that is the conversation. I'm actually on the reopening committee, and it is a daily conversation and fluctuates. The, um, we are opening for limited branches for browse and bounce specifically to make the internet available to mm-hmm. our public in in the ways that we can. And we are addressing equity zones in order to do that. And I do want to give you a shout out from Jean, who's a caller who has just, a uh, uh, person who has just commented online saying how helpful the San Francisco Public Library has been. That as soon as the pandemic started, the library sent out an email to its electronic resources, including ebooks, e music, and movies, free access to the NY Times, free access to magazines. That email brought wonderful reading, and I'll be happy to continue using these resources going forward. I also enjoyed discovering Instagram and its connections worldwide. Abadesi, let's go to you. Let's talk about how some of these services that have been around for a while have found new purchase in uh, the current landscape. I think it's one of those things where people have felt so much extra time and people have wanted to turn this time into something productive. I mean, I personally feel like before the pandemic, I filled up my time with so many things that were basically taken away from me because of the restrictions that were placed upon our lives. And I think this is where people started to see, you know, all the tools and the platforms and the networks available to them in a completely new light. You know, one of the conversations that has been happening uh, in the techish community is around this idea of like, you know, hustle and side hustle and people suddenly being able to turn this time into output of stuff, whether it's as a creator or as an, as an influencer, there are so many people who became addicted to TikTok in this period and suddenly found themselves with tens of thousands of followers and suddenly found themselves with brands sending them gifts to feature in their posts or brands sending them products to review and individuals who never would have considered themselves as influencers in any way have now started to realize, oh my gosh, there's this untapped revenue stream of advertising and marketing that I can do. And now it's kind of difficult for them to return to whatever normal was like before, just having one job and just having one source of revenue because they've just through unlocking social media and using it in a different way have actually been able to create a new career path for themselves on these platforms. And I think it's going to be really hard for people to focus on just one track, especially being a generation that is known for being ridiculously in debt, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get through university, um, struggling to get on the property ladder because we can't save money. Um, suddenly it's like, wait, 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 no, we can save money and and we can be frugal and we actually can create multiple revenue streams. So how do we now cut off that awareness and go back to, yeah, how it used to be? 
Yeah, and, you know, the Internet has certainly sparked joy in a tough year in ways that we didn't expect. Darian writes, for the first time in over 10 years, I was able to get my parents, who were mobility limited, to a cocktail party with a bunch of friends thanks to the Zoom happy hour. And cleanup was a breeze. So let's talk about how the Internet has really sparked joy as well over this past year and helped us keep our sanity and bring some of our bonds even closer Rose, I'm going to go to you with this. Sure. Yeah, I, I want to just uh, shout out Naima's point, which is that it's like a, a very real privilege that we get to sort of talk about whether the Internet is good or bad or like, is it, you know, should we scroll Twitter? Right. Like many people don't get to have those conversations um, and they're just trying to kind of stay afloat. So I think that's very real. And I'm really glad that she pointed that out. Um, the joy of the Internet is is sort of like the chaos of it in some ways to me, um, like that you sort of, to Abadesi's point, you could go on TikTok and see content from someone who you would have probably never encountered in your quote unquote real life, right? Um, and you can see all of the sort of weird, you can find someone who has the same weird humor as you, which is such a, that moment where you see someone make a joke that like, if you were to make maybe in real life, like people would be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why do you think that's funny? <laughs> um, but you find someone on TikTok who has that same humor and just like that point, that sort of like moment of connection and that moment of sort of like elation around sort of seeing that there are people who do think in the weird way that you do can be really a lifeline, I think, in many ways and, and allows for a lot of joy and sort of like, I think the the sort of chaos of the internet is both the greatest and worst thing about it in many ways where you can kind of stumble upon things that you would have never seen otherwise that sort of open up a whole new world to you. There are some amazing creators on TikTok who are doing things like, you know, um, sharing indigenous dances that I would maybe have never seen or other things like that, that I think are just, um, they're just really lovely moments where you're like, wow, there's this whole group of people and whole world out there that um, I'm not fully cut off from, even though I am in my house all day. And this topic of the benefits over this past year have really brought in a flood of comments here. So I'm going to read through a few of them. One listener writes, our men's fellowship group at church had an increase in regular attendance, and we met more often in part because it was just easier. It was easier to bring in guest speakers. There was a lot of good discussion. Some members who moved away from the area came back. We miss our in-person breakfasts and look forward to returning to them again, but we'll probably have a laptop with Zoom running in the background so old friends can join us. Another listener tweets, I'm a dance instructor, and when my lessons moved online, I had to change what I taught. I started saving the last 10 minutes for sharing time. I learned so much about the kids, their talents, likes, and dislikes that I wouldn't have in the past. And Tamara writes, I belong to an exercise community that has thrived during the pandemic. Social connectivity in conjunction with exercise has been the best of the Internet during the pandemic. I've made many close friends, and we will all carry on long after this time, supporting each other from all corners of the world. And if you're listening, we are talking here on Forum this morning about reassessing our relationship with the internet and what parts of the online pandemic world you might be keeping as you reemerge out of lockdown. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Org. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Did you find there were moments where the internet really sparked joy for you in this past year? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, as other folks have, have noted, 
I think the best thing about the internet is hearing voices, encountering voices that you wouldn't encounter otherwise. Um, and that, that underscores why it's so important that we keep our eyes on the digital divide and make sure that, you know, access is something that we work on, even as we might be critical of the internet in other ways. This is why I, I think, Rose, your point about nuance is so important. Um, we need to make sure that everyone can get online and we are so far from that right now. So yeah, you know, encountering folks who I wouldn't encounter otherwise is absolutely the, the heart of the joy of the internet for me. I think it's just um, what gives me pause is, um, you know, there's the other side of it too. It, it's, um, I, I tend to think of Amazon as this sort of self-contained little parable. Amazon makes things in my life a lot better. Uh, you know, I can, it, it's a wonderful convenience in small and, and medium ways. Um, but at the same time, those, all the good things about it can sometimes mask, um, you know, the harm, it's, it's impact on, mm. you know, whatever labor or mom and pop shops or the environment. Um, so I think shows like this are one of the best things that come out of the internet because it reminds us, you know, to look at the internet as something other than an inevitability, you know, as, as Naima said, it's water now, it, it's, it's the water we live in. And if we can remember to, look at it critically, look at it from a little bit of a distance periodically and be able to separate the wonderful and essential parts of it from the more insidious parts. I think that's, um, I think that's essential. Rose, as we begin to wrap up our show, what are your final thoughts here about how your relationship with the internet has changed and uh, more broadly, how you see it changing within society? Yeah, I think Chris's point is is really important, right? Like, you know, nothing in this world is all good or all bad. And the internet is certainly one of those things. Um, you know, just because it's great for connecting doesn't mean that, you know, there's nothing to say about how to make it better or more accessible or, or um, you know, more usable for people. Um, you know, we haven't really talked so much about, you know, misinformation and how to, how, you know, listeners might be able to, make sure that they're not contributing to spreading things that are, are untrue. And I think, you know, digital literacy has sort of a buzzword for a while um, in a lot of places, but I do think that what I'd love to see moving forward is sort of to echo what Chris was saying, a, a really sort of honest account of things that might make certain people's lives better while making other people's lives worse, who has access to all this stuff, um, you know, we've talked so much about the joys of it and and the reality of not everyone being able to participate in those joys. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, I think it was Naima who said the internet is like water. And I think thinking through like, how do we make sure that water is clean, affordable, accessible is really important. I think that's where if we want a better future and we want a better internet, we have to be very honest about all of those things and sort of teach everybody, not just the younger generation, because often it's all generations that need a little bit of help to remember how to use the internet responsibly. Like we're all stewards of this ecosystem that is the internet and we shouldn't be polluting the water. We should be giving it, like cleaning it and giving mm -hmm. access to everyone. So sort of taking that metaphor more broadly, I think is what I would love to see moving forward. Let's go to caller Phil. He's on the line now from San Francisco. Phil, thanks for joining us. Hi there, Priya. Um, the internet hasn't meant a lot to me during the pandemic, except for the fact that I've discovered Zoom and FaceTime, and now I can see anybody around the world, uh, whether they're friends or not friends, and that's fabulous. I can open up my uh, phone in Golden Gate Park and see somebody in London. So uh, that's incredible. I didn't have, I didn't know of that ability before the pandemic. And second, Priya, 
it's so nice to hear your voice on the radio. Priya from Channel <laughs> 2, way back when, who interviewed me in Golden Gate Park oh. with Project Homeless Connect 10 years ago. You were wonderful. I hope you'll stay on KQED. I hope those guys are really wise <laughs> and they'll put you in the second hour. Uh, well, so it will be Nina Kim and Priya Davis. Thank you, okay. thank you very it. much, Phil. I appreciate that. Um, Avadesi, let's go to the comment that Phil is making. We just have a, a minute or so here for your response. Um, but you know, he's talking about both of these pieces, right, that we are coming together so much more. And yet there is this issue of many people who don't have it and don't use it as often. Um, would you speak to that divide? Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things is that we now have a lens of equity and a lens of accessibility, as we've touched on, that we never really had before. I think what we find around the world is that the people most deeply affected by an issue are the people who are always campaigning for change and advocating for us to do better. But what's been beautiful about this experience of all of us being together through this experience of the pandemic and all together online is that even those of us with more privileges that maybe weren't affected by the lack of access um, are starting to realize that it's important for us too, just as fellow citizens of the world and fellow human beings. And I don't think anyone can take that away from us now, you know, now that we're aware mm -hmm. and now that we, you know, we know that it matters, mm -hmm. we're, it's here to stay. So I think that's something that's beautiful that's come out of it. All right. Thank you so much to all three of our guests today. We've been talking about how our relationship with the Internet has changed during the pandemic and reassessing our use. Thank you to Chris Collin, a Bay Area-based journalist and author of Off, The Day the Internet Died. Abadese Asunsadeh, the co-host of the Techish podcast, a weekly show hosted by two black millennials discussing tech pop culture and life. And Rose Eveleth, the reporter and host of Flash Forward, a podcast about the future. Forum is produced by Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Polly Stryker, Gray Swan, and Crystal Consul. Our interim senior editor is Judy Campbell. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Leslie Torres and Camille Bakary. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. 
New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.